Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. All right, very cool. So exciting to be here this morning. We are going to get right into it. As Lisey mentioned, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days from Easter. And traditionally, the story that we celebrate on that occasion is when the Holy Spirit came upon the people who believed in what Jesus did in this really vivid, tangible experience. But I always think like, yeah, but what about me? I'm like 2,000 years from then. What about, what is it like today? And that's precisely the question that I'm hoping I can speak to this morning. Is, is, and, and, and the conclusion that I hope I can arrive at is that the same spirit, the same power that touched those lives 2,000 years ago and gave them that vivid experience of life and power that made the difference Jesus made in their lives come alive in in color that they they couldn't have understood before. That same spirit and power is as alive and real in your experience of life today than it was back then. We're going to take some time and explore that and open it up this morning. And my prayer is that you would be encouraged, that you would be comforted by that, and that you'd be strengthened to live your life fully. You know, there's probably a question we need to ask before we get to the big questions. In fact, I think if we answer this particular question that I'm going to bring up now, I think if we answer it well, we'll probably arrive at the conclusion we need to arrive at for this. It's a simple question. It's maybe not the one that you're expecting, though. Are you ready for the question? I love asking questions. It's my favorite thing to do. Here's the question. Why do you wear clothes? When I was a younger man, they taught me in public speaking that you should always picture your audience. No, no, no. (laughs) Don't do that. That's like a myth of public speaking. You do not want to go there. Trust me. I can't now anymore. No, I'm joking. Why do you wear clothes? Why do you wear clothes? I got this cord jacket this week. This, this cord jacket's not just a cord jacket. It's a symbol, actually. It's a symbol of my growing uh, reunification with the fabric of corduroy. <laughs> when, when I was a little kid, my mum used to dress me like three or four years old, okay? And we, we were a church family, so going to church on Sunday was a thing. And, um, and my mum used to pick our outfit to wear. So four-year-old Andy, I, I, let me give you a picture of four-year-old Andy. I was um, like cheeky and fun and all of that, but um, elderly people would, would say, oh, look at him, he's so cute, he's got the puppy fat. That was how, how elderly people would describe me as a little kid. So you can imagine, right, I was carrying a bit extra. It wasn't puppy fat, it was too many fish fingers for dinner the night before, that's what it was. I was, it was cute, you know, cute little chubby kid, and my mum would put me in these red cord pants. I hated them. 
Oh, here comes Andy. I hate these pants. There was nothing I could do. And not even if I, if I walked around like this, it would just look like I've been riding a horse all weekend. Every time they saw me coming, red cord pants, yellow skivvy, Andy in the wintertime at church. I hated the way those pants made me feel on the inside. The clothes have that interesting quality, don't they? They actually make you feel something inside, strangely. The, the things that you put on your body, they have this kind of inverse reaction to make you feel a particular way. The things that you cover your body with have an inward feel, don't they? But, but it's not just inward, there's also an outward one. They, they're a way we express ourselves. When I was older, about six years older, 12 or 13, my hero wasn't a sport player, wasn't an action hero. My hero, 13-year-old Andy, was Jerry Seinfeld. I thought he was the funniest guy I'd ever seen. And I, I just was like this, this guy. I wanted to be him, right? And, and I remember I got to see one particular episode of Seinfeld with my dad or something like that. And Jerry was wearing a blue corduroy shirt. And, and, and within a week, my mum said, Andy, you know what? It's time for a new outfit for you. Let's go get you a new outfit. And I was like, yes. Straight to best and less. Straight to the shirt section. Blue cord shirt. Thank you very much new jeans and sneakers, and I walked around like I was Jerry, having this, and, it, and, and, and I was expressing to the world what I valued in this blue cord shirt. I was the only 13-year-old kid walking around in a blue cord shirt, mind you, because other 13-year-old kids dress like 13-year-old kids. But there I was, Jerry Seinfeld wannabe, strutting around in my blue cord shirt. It was my outward expression, and our clothes do that, don't they? The, the things we cover our body with, they tell the world something about us. They explain something to other people. We express ourselves outwardly through clothes too. But there's even more than that. There's, there's not just an inward quality about clothes and an outward quality about clothes. There's this through quality about clothes. In fact, some of our deepest beliefs are expressed by the way we present ourselves. What do you wear to a funeral? You wear something that, that's modest and respectful for the family who are grieving and the person whose life is being celebrated, right? So you have a belief inside that says, at a funeral, I believe it's important to respect this occasion. And I'll do that with the clothes that I wear. We do the same thing at a wedding. Uh, when we go to a beach party, we're like, it's a different story, right? I believe beach parties are fun. So I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt. I've got my boardies on, flip-flops. Clothes have this weird kind of transcendent quality about them in that they not only have an inward expression of how they make us feel, they're our projection to the world around us. In fact, we actually express some of our deepest beliefs by the way we cover our body. It's almost like a spiritual quality that clothes have. Would you believe me if I said the very first fashion label was called Grace by God? 
that very first fashion label. God is into clothes. Did you know that? Someone's saying amen. All right. God's into clothes. God's into clothes. Not in a trite way, because I just explained to you that clothes have this transcendent quality. The way we present our bodies to the society around us actually teach something about what we believe. And actually, God has been involved in clothing from the very start. Let me take you to a story, the ancient story of Adam and Eve. And, and in the garden, we, we know how a lot of this detail goes, but this, this, this phrase, this question God asked in the midst of the story jumped off the page at me as I was researching, as I was reading this story. And it's in the occasion where uh, God has given an instruction to humankind not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, in, in simple terms, what God is asking humanity to do is to practice the discipline of being content with everything that I've given you. Don't reach for more, but copy my quality in saying that what you have is enough. Being created and having a beautiful garden to live in and a friend to live alongside and a mission to fill and subdue it, that is enough. And if you live in the peace and the fulfillment of that, you will live a wholehearted, full experience of life. But human couldn't do that, could they? No. They reached for more. They reached beyond and practiced discontent and desire and disobedience. And so they do that. And what's the result? Shame. Shame. When, when they reached beyond the fulfilling life that God had for them, their response is like, oh my goodness, not what I thought I was. Their eyes become open. And God comes looking for them. He comes looking for the, the people that he loves so, so deeply. He comes looking for them. Calls out, Adam, where are you? He's hiding. And he answers, Genesis 3.10, I heard you in the garden, God. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is, the, this is the question God asks that just blows me away. He, he doesn't respond with anger. He doesn't cast him out immediately. He doesn't throw down and say, how dare you do what I asked you not to. I can't believe it, you sick little human. No, that's not what God does. God says, who told you that you were naked? Why, why, is that, why is that wrong? Why are you ashamed of that? That's how I made you. Why is that a problem for you now? Did you eat from the tree that I asked you not to? God gently questions the behavior. Who, who told you that? Why is that a problem? Adam's, Adam's always been naked in front of God, right? That was just part of the thing. Humanity was seen. They could, they could commune. They could walk with God, converse, and have this incredible, close relationship. And it was never a problem until humanity reached for something beyond the relationship that God initially intended for it to have with him. And once we did that, we discover we're not what we're cut out to be. All, all of a sudden, we, we look at the parts of ourselves 
and we become ashamed for it. This, this story is literal in a sense, but also a symbolic story of what it's like for all of us to live before God. When we, when we reach beyond the life and the plan and the destiny that he has for us and we grab and we make decisions based on greed and lust and pride, we then take a look at ourselves at some point and go, man, I'm not what I was cut out to be. And our response is shame. And God's question is the same for you now than it was for Adam then. Who told you that you need to be ashamed? This story concludes by God kind of setting up a restoration plan. And he does this incredible thing just before Adam and Eve have to uh, feel the full weight of their decisions and be escorted out of the garden, this beautiful place that God created for them to live with him. He makes garments out of animal skin and clothes them. He didn't have to do that. He, he, he had every right to say, we had an agreement, you broke it, I'm upset. And because you broke it, you can't be here anymore. Sorry. I don't know if that's how he kicked them out of the garden. But, but he, he, this, in this one sentence, we see something beautiful about the nature of God. He understands that by our own decision, by our own consequence, we've made life difficult for ourselves. And out of his grace, he prepares us to go through those consequences. He knows Adam and Eve are going to walk out of that garden ashamed, lonely, scared. And so he prepares them for that moment by setting up the very first clothing label, grace. And he covers them with it so that they can experience their consequences with that little bit more pride, that little bit more dignity. God does the same for us. He prepares you to walk through the consequences of your life. It doesn't matter what your past has been or what you've come through or what you're experiencing now. God will clothe you for your future. He will prepare for you so that you can walk into your future with dignity. You can walk into your future with a sense of pride in who God has made you to be. And that your past no longer defines who you are, but it actually becomes like a redeeming quality. It actually goes, you've moved through this now. And everything you've experienced is to strengthen your future. Your story of journeying through that will empower people who are journeying through that right now. They will see that there is a destination that doesn't end in depression, that doesn't end in suicide, that doesn't end in failure, that doesn't end in conviction, but that it ends in hope, that it ends in faith, that it ends in this endless supply of love to give out from beyond yourself. God will clothe you for your future. Jesus was into clothes as well. The, the thing that this, we learn from this story by implication is that in order to cover our shame and our nakedness, something had to die. God actually took the life of some animals so that he could prepare the skins and then put the clothes on the humans. Something had to die in order to cover our shame. And this, this idea would be repeated through the history of God's people again and again and again until it reaches its finality on the cross, this powerful event where once and for all, Jesus would be killed in order that our shame would be covered forever. Not just us as an individual, but the entirety of humanity. That everything we fear, everything we're ashamed of, 
Everything that holds us back is done for, covered, because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus says a number of things about clothes, actually, in the Gospels. In Matthew 5, he says, if somebody sues you for your tunic, give them your tunic, give them your cloak also. Live generously. Give beyond what you have. God will provide for you. In Luke 10, he sends out a bunch of the people that believe in him to go and speak about the kingdom in other places. And he says, don't take an extra cloak. Practice some minimalism. Jesus was into minimalism before it was cool. He said, just have one really nice garment and take that with you. Wear a cord jacket. Take that out into the streets. You only need one. In uh, Matthew 6... He says, why do you worry about what you'll wear? Look at the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if God cares for that flower, which is there one day and then perishes the next, how much more will he care for you and what goes on your body, O you of little faith? That's what Jesus says. He actually links clothing and faith together there. Interesting. Jesus was into clothes. He also said this in Luke 24. He was, he was explaining to the people that followed him that he had to go away, but he would send a helper. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's the story we celebrate here on Pentecost Sunday, is that when the Holy Spirit comes. And Jesus says it like this, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus uses this metaphor on purpose because like we discovered with clothes that have this in and out and through quality, the Holy Spirit clothes us in the very same way. The Holy Spirit clothes us and there's an inward quality to the way that he affects our life. Actually, when we put him on, he changes us inwardly for the better. He does two things, or he probably does heaps of things. I've only learned two, or I'm only going to talk about two. He, he, he actually draws our attention to the things inside us that he would like to change. What's that, what's that hardness in your heart, man? Let me soften that so that you can have more love in your life. Well, what's that anxiety that you're feeling about the future? Give, give that to me. Name it and hand it over to me. Pray and I'll give you peace back. Why, why, are, you, why are you holding on to that bitterness of, of those things that happened to you? Look at what Jesus did. He forgave. He forgave. He encourages you to forgive. And I tell you, if you forgive, that bitterness will die. And you'll have a full life on the other side of it. The Holy Spirit addresses things in our life that he'd like to change. But he also gives us a gift to empower it. And, and we here in our church, that gift is called tongues or a prayer language. Now, interesting, you, you, you might know about that gift. You might practice that gift. You might think, oh, that's a little strange, actually. I don't know much about that gift. Well, that's all right. Let me explain it for you. See, one of the myths about tongues is it's this uncontrolled kind of gibberish that comes out because the Holy Spirit's affecting your life so much. But that's incorrect. Because 
in the Bible, we read very clearly what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in Galatians 5.22. Nine fruits are listed. What's the last one? Self-control. Self-control. So, so tongues isn't this like crazy thing that you can't control happening. No, no, no. It is a self-controlled, rhythmic utterance that takes your mind off having to think about what you need to say to God. It occupies the way that your lips and your mouth are trying to gibber out ideas so that you can just converse spiritually with God straight away. You don't have to think about what to say, but He just calms your heart. The peace comes, the joy comes, and you begin to just flow in the Spirit with Him. That's what tongues is. And it's a beautiful gift that enriches you inwardly. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us to receive that in a, in a little moment. But just like we learn with clothes, when the Holy Spirit clothes you with power, there's not just an inward effect, there's an outward effect too. It's not just for you. When you wear the Holy Spirit, there's a great effect for the people all around you as well. The same fruit that he's growing inside your life to enrich your life, he wants everybody to have that fruit. And he brings it to them through you. And he gives you gift and authority and power to do that. And that gift is called prophecy. And everybody went, whoa, hang on, man. Prophecy is that freaky future-telling stuff, right? Old Testament prophet. Mm -mm. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's that. And there's much for us to learn there. And one day we're going to go through the Old Testament prophets at Deep Dive. You've got to be in that conversation because there's going to be some rich learning. But Paul put it very simply for us in 1 Corinthians 14, 3 to 5. It's a prophecy is for encouraging, comforting, and strengthening others. And it's a great sign to people who aren't believers yet because it's this encouragement that comes from a deep place that, that, that when you speak a word of prophecy over someone. They're like, where did that come from? You know, I just believe that God is encouraging me to tell you that today. And you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit grow in their life. The peace comes. The patience comes. The gentleness comes when you speak a word, an encouraging, comforting word over someone. And that's not just for these four walls, I might add. In fact, It's almost wasted here. Almost, almost. I I say that delicately. Because there's people in your life. There's people in your house. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people in your business. And their heart is yearning for a word of prophecy. An encouraging, comforting, strengthening thing. That you get to speak through them that clothed with the Holy Spirit comes out of you that enriches them and draws them to be more open and more curious about the difference Jesus can make in their life where the Holy Spirit he speaks out with you and of course there's also this this through context that just like our clothes our deepest beliefs come through us man the things that you hold dear in your heart the fact that you believe Jesus connected you back to God again because he died on the cross. The fact that Jesus gives you full life because he's raised himself from the dead 
and others. And that He can raise you out of your old self, out of your old life, and into a new experience of life that is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the... Come on. The Holy Spirit is the power to be able to live that belief that's deep inside you, through you, and out to the world around you. When you wear the Holy Spirit like clothes, He changes you inwardly for the better. He empowers you to live His good news outwardly. And the deep beliefs you hold onto about Jesus now become things that have powerful testimony and witness to the world around you. That is what happens when you wear the Holy Spirit like clothes. That is what happened 50 days after Jesus rose again and the, pen, and the Spirit came on those people at Pentecost. And that is what happens today in the life of somebody who says, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Jesus, I believed you have full life for me. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to come on me like clothes so that in my life, out of my life, and through my life, more people could experience the goodness of God. Let's stand together. It would be remiss of me to stand here and tell jokes and tell you about how good it is for the Spirit to work in you and out of you and through you without us actually practicing that and praying for it. So I want to take the time to ask, ask God encouraging, comforting, and strengthening things. And I believe wholeheartedly that He's, gonna, he's actually going to give them to me and that I'll be able to pray them over us. And then, uh, and then as we do that, I encourage you if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're there and you're cheering me on, you're going, yes, Andy, you got it, man. That's what I believe. Pray with me. Start praying. Start praying, God, make yourself known here. God, make us more attuned and aware to you. And, and just like Stevie said when she led us so beautifully, it starts with an action, actually. Your posture will determine your experience in this. This well, that's about how it's going to stay for you. But this, something, something miraculous happens like this. When, when you open your heart and your life and your posture to the Holy Spirit, then He starts to dress you. All right? So I want to invite you to do that. Closing your eyes helps, then go ahead. I want to invite you to stand there, your hands wide open. And God, now in this time of prayer together, we're celebrating you and your kindness to us, your goodness to us. That you want to clothe us, Lord. I pray for words that will encourage, that will comfort, that will strengthen God. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a different light.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.